0: Hello, thanks for tuning in. This is Dan. Welcome to the Spaceship Earth podcast and my mini experimental series, Reflections from the Great Pause. This is episode three. If you've been tuning into the previous two, you know the format. If you haven't, uh, this is a little experiment where I've sent five questions out to some friends and uh, uh, previous guests on the show and and other folks, and I've asked them uh, to send in... um, via audio the answers their answers to these five questions and those questions are where are you and who are you with what are you struggling with the most during these times have you started doing discovered always done something that's bringing you joy in these times what are you hoping could emerge from these times and finally what bits of getting back to normal do you hope will not return Uh, and there was also an uh, an offer to share anything uh that folks might want to and that's it and I've just been um, uh, they've been coming in and they're beautiful uh, just lovely reflections and observations and thoughts from people and I've had some really lovely feedback from people that are listening they're really enjoying them so um, this was an experiment I wasn't quite sure what was going to come in and how to edit it up and I've ended up just like cutting them back-to-back, stitching them together pretty much as they've come in, Um, otherwise I was going to spend my life trying to edit them up. So they're just raw from different people and I just set them up and off we go. So I've had great joy from listening to these and um, super insightful and I hope you enjoy listening to them too. So the first offering today is from Saskia Risenbury. Now I met Saskia a couple of years ago at a retreat out in Portugal and Saskia is a fascinating human, she's a social designer, she is involved in all kinds of interesting things. But the heart of her work is trying to explore how you design empathy into businesses, into products and real potential for social impact. And um, a lot of her work is always geared towards protecting vulnerable people and ecosystems. Um, she's been involved in some fantastic projects There's a piece of work she's been doing out in India called the Sathyam project, which transforms the lives of girls and women by creating profitable social enterprises with them. And uh, she's also been doing tons of stuff around circular design, particularly looking at kind of waste streams, <clears throat> um, lots of work with plastic and the precious plastic project, doing a lot of work around kind of open source um, tools and resources for for these kind of waste streams. So super fascinating. You can find out more about Saskia at saskia.earth. So let's kick off with um, some reflections from Saskia Risenberry.
1: Hey Dan, uh, Saskia here. Uh, thanks for sending it over. Um, I'll just go on and say the questions and the answers. Okay, so number one. Uh, I am living in Berlin at the moment with my boyfriend, Giannis. Uh We decided to move in together this year and it just so happened to turn out that our first month of living together has been in quarantine. So that's uh been challenging and amazing at the same time. Um, What are you struggling with most during these times? I think I'm struggling with the lack of human contact. Um, It doesn't have to be physical touch, but it's more just being part of a community physically. Um, you know, it's a really interesting time when you do go outside for your daily exercise and You know, people, we are walking in these really small groups and people kind of give each other a wide berth when we're we're crossing each other on the street. And um, while it's obviously incredibly necessary and such an important part of how we manage this situation, uh, it is quite challenging to kind of not be around a a bigger community and and not be surrounded by other people. So I'm finding that a little bit hard. Um, Have you started doing Discovered, always done something that is bringing you joy? Okay, so what I've started doing um, in our quarantine um, is I've slowed down a lot. Uh, so typically, um, a month or two months for me would be a lot of traveling by road. You know I lived in Portugal, but I worked in the Netherlands, um, and I work in different parts of Europe, and I'm from New Zealand and I also work in India, and so a lot of my life has been um, around not where, you know I have a home. So this is the first time in a really long time that I've actually sat still and said um you know this is where I'm going to be for a while so um it's really helped me it's given me so much joy to find the find the beauty and ordinariness of the day you know getting up at the same time and um cooking together and just really knowing that today uh, the day has a beautiful routine that I can settle into and feel strong and so that's what I've really enjoyed doing um. what are you hoping could emerge from these extraordinary times what I'm hoping will emerge is our much deeper connection as a society um, that we are so interconnected with our environment and with each other you know there has been some beautiful um, experiences that we've all had to go through which is you know COVID-19 is not about getting the virus yourself it's about protecting the vulnerable parts of society and I think that that is such an important thing that we could step through from to say you know what you do as a person of society does have a negative or positive effect on people and so maybe it won't be as visceral as you know you might pass on an infection and they might die it might be you know, does this um, purchase or does this behavior or does this thing that I'm saying or does this econ- economic system that we're part- taking part in, um, is it benefiting or is it really detrimental to different parts of our society? And so I think that I'm hoping what can emerge is that we all feel a lot more interconnected with each other and, of course, um, our environment. I'm seeing, you know, I've been reading and seeing, hearing from friends that they're spending a lot more time walking in nature because that's the time that they can be outside and get fresh air and I'm wondering if that would would emerge and and people slowing down and being able to spend more time just being outside. Um, What bits of getting back to normal do you hope will not return? I definitely hope this mindless consumption will stop. Um, I hope that we won't go back to normal um, and I hope we won't keep believing the narrative that the economy is the only thing that is what supports a healthy society. Um, I think that what I hope will emerge is our understanding of what is essential and what isn't essential. You know, I've had, um, you know, a lot of people in my network and like my friends, my friendship groups, and also reading about people that, that work got dropped very quickly um, and what work hasn't been dropped, you know, what these, these jobs that are so necessary to society. I hope that we have a deeper respect for what is essential. And we also analyze a little bit what we want our own contribution to society and for our life would be, um, in terms of, is it beneficial to society and to the people and to the vulnerable people and to our environment, um, and how we can just be a lot more mindful of, yeah, of our contribution to the world. Um, anything I want to share. Um, I would love to share this piece from Arundhati Roy. She's an Indian author, um, and a very beautiful and raw and sometimes hard voice of, you know, the country and and what's going on there. And she wrote this beautiful piece called The Pandemic as a Portal. I highly recommend reading the whole thing. Um, but I just wanted to share the end of it. Um, Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It it is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and our hatred, our avarice, our data banks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies behind us. Or we can walk through it lightly with with little luggage ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. Okay, that's it for me, Dan. Bye.
0: So the other night I uh, bivvied out in the garden with my youngest daughter, Willow, and um, it was a beautiful night and we got a fire going and got in our sleeping bags and bivvy bags and just yeah just laid looking up at the stars and the satellites and talking about stuff about trees and love and all kinds of lovely things I didn't actually get much sleep it was interesting actually at one point I was I remember sort of feeling it was about 2 a.m. I was thinking sort of oh, I can't sleep and I was getting slightly frustrated with myself and then I was like well actually I don't really need to be I don't really need to go to sleep I could just lie here and take it all in which I did, um, it's funny that, isn't it? It's like, oh, I must sleep, must sleep, and actually well, I didn't really have anything to sleep for um so uh, yeah, we had a we had a it was a lovely night, and uh we got the dawn chorus about half five next morning, but also got some amazing owl action um some tawny owls, there's a lot of them around where we live, and uh yeah, I, try, I, I sort of woke up to, it felt like a couple of owls were, were very close and I tried to record it. So look, this is the owl, this is, what well, this is a couple of tawny owls from round my hood. Yeah, I'm definitely finding a lot of joy from birds right now around me, um, tuning into the birds, there's there's a lot of them around and yeah, just noticing them and watching them sort of setting up nests and doing strange beautiful little dances for mates and singing and stuff and uh, feeding and uh, yeah, rather marvellous. The birds, thanks to the birds. Um, okay, so next up is my friend Andrew Wonless Orlebar. And Andrew is someone that I met about 10 years ago. He came to the first Good for Nothing gig we ever did. And um, I remember thinking Andrew was really bloody smart, super interesting and very kind, which is sort of a lovely combination. Um and we kept in touch and he went off to live in the us to get involved in a range of different ventures and startups and various things and he's been out there for some years and we've kept in touch um and andrew describes himself as an innovator post-consumer biophile and he's working on climate-compatible living, really, nowadays. Um, and he's currently VP of Strategy at Futera North America. Um, yeah, and it was really lovely to hear from Andrew and get a perspective from the US. So next up, it's Andrew Wanless olabach Or AWO, as we know him on the socials.
2: Hello, Dan. I was going to record this in the quietest room in the house. I had something nicely planned, which I thought would be podcast-friendly. I thought instead I would walk outside and share the dusk noises with you, maybe the odd bird song and the incredible luxury that I have at the moment, which is to be able to disappear into the forest uh, just near the house I'm staying. This is uh, Andrew, Andrew on the solar bar. Uh, I'm currently in um, the outskirts of Boston, Massachusetts, where we are up here with my uh, wife, uh, living with her sister and family. So we get to uh, share a big house together at these times, which is really nice. I suppose the most important presence at the moment is also our newborn, uh, just a few weeks old. It's been a doubly interesting time to uh, have someone so young in the world at this particular juncture. Uh, newborns are a time of, uh, or in, create a set of time of self-confinement a little bit for their parents anyway. But, uh, for us it's just really been a moment of understanding just a little bit more of the extra fragility that we're all going through at the moment. Um, so in terms of things I've been, uh, struggling with, I guess one of the, uh, one of the many positive outcomes of all of this terrible uh, drama and hardship and death and risk around uh, the world, and yet to expand into much more of the world still, um, is that there's all this amazing goodness going on. There's all of these incredible projects emerging from all possible sides um, to you know, support emergency workers, to bring families closer together, um, To support small businesses and my greatest frustration is that with uh, the attention that a newborn needs, I'm sort of watching all this happen and not really kind of contributing to what just feels like this just explosion of generosity and creativity, uh, which kind of makes you wonder why we don't have this going on at all times, but it's really been a thing to watch. And, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm kind of on the sidelines, not really uh, contributing, but that's something we'll all deal with. And then, in a much more uh, minor way, uh, this is a moment when you realize the value of home, like just being around things you know, in spaces you know, with people you know. Uh, We are surrounded by wonderful people, but I do kind of miss the familiarity of a certain space. Um, Although I think what's interesting in some ways about this period is that if you sort of look at, you know, kind of Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, in some ways, a lot of what we need every day is being satisfied, just being satisfied in different ways. And it may be that you realize that you need novelty, but you don't need to do it by hopping on a plane, going to a distant far off land. You can just you know, take a different corner around your house if you're allowed to go for a walk. Uh, you need presence, and I sincerely hope that there'll be a time soon when people are not attending funerals via Zoom. And doing these, all these other difficult things. But on the other hand, we're rediscovering the telephone, which for some reason we've completely abandoned as a form of vocal communication. We just use it to send each other quick texts. Um, so I think there's a lot of things like that that are interesting where we're re appreciating, I suppose, some of the uh, familiarity we, we uh, need around us and how a lot of our needs that we re- respond to with kind of money and exuberance can be actually addressed with not much in terms of things i've started appreciating differently well i think one of the i mean for those of us who are in this hemisphere one of the strange side effects of being in uh, such confined spaces with you know, very small perimeter is to be able to watch spring happen in just excruciating, glorious detail. So I do the same very short walk every day if I can fit it in and I can see practically every leaf unfurl, every bird song appear, And really reconnecting with that is incredible. And it's just this affirmation of life that is there and undeniable. And this affirmation of change and us realizing that change is a thing that always happens. Um, Ultimately, I think a reminder of uh, just the greatness of nature, which we're a part of and which we can't not be a part of, despite our desire to always think that way. And other than that, there's just been, I think, like a lot of us, maybe time to cook and concentrate on some of the things around us with new constraints. And that, I think, always brings out some of the best of us, too, is to not be able to kind of just lavishly go out and get anything you need but just uh, make do with uh, with what's there um, for those of us who are lucky enough to have things in our pantry. Most of all I feel like I've been thinking about things far beyond the home about how this is really just uh, a staging ground for how we're going to need to deal with a crisis that will probably dwarf this over time which is climate change and I would hope that one of the things that's happening at the moment is, I mean, inevitably you see it because this crisis is global. I think there's only about 10 countries where it has not reached in some form or another now. But You would hope that this is a chance to see that we will be affected by things collectively, globally, universally, and that we will need to address them globally, collectively, universally. And that we can do that. And so... In some ways, I hope that's the biggest consequence that people can take away from this. I think I've been seeing in recent weeks, I dare say it's way more timid than I'd like it to be, but people slowly put some of the pieces together of like, you know, we live these lives that are so Truman Show-like in that everything kind of works for us and we don't ask ourselves a lot of questions of where things come from and how they come from and how they happen. You know, water comes out of the tap and it's clean and it's safe most of the time. Electricity comes out of the grid. That's it. No questions asked. Don't know where it comes from. Don't know what's made of. Stuff arrives in Amazon boxes and who knows what was happening before that. Food is served in plastic boxes on shelves and that's the end of it. And I feel like people are now starting to maybe realize that there are people involved in those equations. There are far off economies that depend on that. Uh, On every gesture that we do, everything we buy, everything we do, and maybe, maybe, maybe we need to protect that in a different way and think about the consequences of what we do a little bit more. As I think, people are like suddenly needing to, you know, figure out how they get basics into their life, figure out how they work from home, figure out how to connect with people all over the world who are suddenly distant. Uh, There's real questions about like, oh, what does it mean when we can't do that? So I think we're getting accustomed to. Uh, not quite the same sense of entitlement and ability to just you know spend money and do things but also understand that when you're at home not buying clothes from Primark there's millions of jobs disappearing in Southeast Asia when you are Indian subcontinent when you are uh, at home hoping that you can live as normal and the electricity is still running that's someone else dedicating their jo- their life to that and staying away from their family so I think the, the, the sense that we are not just the recipients of this magical supply chain but that we play a real part in it is really important at this time that was a bit of a ramble but I guess what I'm really thinking about is the interconnectedness of everything and I'm hoping that as we find ourselves in times of relative to extreme scarcity as, you know, factories stop working around the world, as, you know, your order of whatever food can't come in, as your inability to travel to X or Y starts kicking in, you realize that you are part of this very, very complex economy that, as you put it uh, so well in the show with Giles, um, and Laura like can only work in fifth gear or does not function at all. Um, I think just us putting those pieces together and realizing that again, when we need to see uh, industries disappear because they won't be able to work in a time uh, that is climate compatible, um, how do we kind of usher those out of existence without damaging people's lives and um, their well-being even more than it is today? And meanwhile, how do we construct a world where we are? just actively nurturing um, those links in a a very different manner. And probably in doing so, also recognizing that, you know, the notion of essential workers shouldn't just appear in times like this. Uh, They are essential workers all the time, uh, not just uh, at times when, you know, all of us who just spend time in front of shiny screens are doing less. So that's that's one thing that I I think about a lot. In terms of new normal, uh, it's really kind of extraordinary that we're saying, gosh, I hope for things to get back to normal, because obviously there's a lot of normal things that we miss right now. Life is incredibly different. Uh, Life in some ways, in some places, feels like it's hopped back at least a 100 years. People are hearing, you know, birds, seeing animals in town, hearing quietness, able to breathe without asthma, able able to see the sky, able to smell the sea miles inland. I've heard all sorts of different stories. Um, But uh, normal is not a place that we really want to return to. It's still a world where we have the climate crisis absolutely looming on us. It's still a world where I mean, take your pick. Women are still not making anything like what men make in any job in any region in the world. you know suicide is now the leading cause of death for adult males in the u s a like we have an infinity of problems that we still need to deal with, and I, I keep thinking about how long this lasts will almost be like how much will the strength of the reckoning be where we actually need to question some of these things and not let i mean never never do you come out of crises like this in the same way that you left them uh We change, the world changes, but does it just mean that we're going to work from home or does it mean that we might actually think differently about the economy we want and the world we want? One of the most fascinating things for me in the last few weeks is to see how this debate about do we save lives or do we save the economy is um, rolling out. And it's exactly a parallel to me about how we think about the environment, which is you know, I've been called a tree hugger most of my life and people, I, mean, I sort of go, I mean, I'm interested in saving trees, but I'm interested in saving lives and I'm interested in saving us. So there are people who are like, let's save the earth for the earth and screw humans. And that's fine. But I think most of us who are compelled to look at how we can create a different environmental future are there because we're just talking about a different human future because environment and human and humanity are inseparable. Um, what's interesting about the economy is humanity and the economy are separable the economy is an intellectual construct that we've created over the last few you know hundreds or thousands of years depending on where you want to start with the schools of thought and yet here we are now going like what should we do preserve that or preserve life as if they were opposites, and as if there was some sort of economy that needed to be preserved independently of humanity uh, whereas again it, there's no such thing like You can't ask an ape about the economy. It doesn't exist. And so what is it that we are trying to magic up here and protect other than ourselves, other than our lives, other than our well-being? I think that's a really kind of crazy dichotomy that we're living in, which, again, exactly parallels the way that all of the wrong thinking about the environment has been happening around for the last 30, 35 years. So that, I think, is also a... uh, a way of thinking that we can hopefully start to shed or see break apart a little bit um anyway, there's some thoughts for you, Dan, probably a little bit uh a little bit uh, affected by you know the fresh air in the uh, evening walk more rambly than they should be but uh it's really it's really good to kind of get a few things out of my head um, These are absolutely challenging times, I think, for everyone but uh boy are they interesting ones too to really see a little bit more in kind of naked light systems that we've created the lives that we have the dependencies we have and maybe therefore to ask ourselves some questions about like how do we want to continue uh living out beyond this because there will certainly be another one of these in some form and this question is do we want to be better prepared do we want to face it differently and do we want to have something that is not going to, a crisis that is not like every single other crisis going to affect uh, the disadvantaged in a very, very disproportionate manner. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll wrap it up there. Uh, keep up the good work. Love the podcast, love your thoughts uh, and thanks for bringing us together in this way even though we're all in different parts of the world thinking about this. But uh you create a kind of one spot for us to land and share some thoughts cheers
0: well i hope you're enjoying these offerings and i hope you're doing all right in these mad times in these lockdown times if you are locked down or if you're not on the front line if you are able to stay put where you are uh, i know that um this is challenging times for so many of us in many different ways and some of us are able to I guess um, be more still than others um, my next offering is from Esky Britain now if you listen to my podcast regularly you'll know that I'm a massive fan of Eastki Britain and she's um, been in two previous episodes um, Eastki is this sort of brilliant mashup of big wave, professional surfer, scientist, academic, social activist, um, has an enormous um, sort of passion for kind of fairness and equality, particularly around gender. um, And just is always on the edges of seeing the world in ways which I believe offer so much potential to all of us to regenerate life um, yeah Esky's a total one off um, so if you're interested in knowing more about Esky, I highly recommend you do you can check her out at com, and you'll find links to all of her different um, strands of work of which there are many but all of them really are connected by this this thread around our connection or her connection to ocean and to water more broadly uh, and all that that offers us uh when we become awake and alive to it so i'm going to leave it at that and let's go and listen to um some reflections from east key britain
3: hey dan thanks so much for the invite to share uh during during this lockdown um yeah I'm only really finding the the space to sort of sink into that and your questions now. I'm walking around a um, farm outside in west of Ireland in Mayo, um, land that belongs to my boyfriend and we're starting to plant and get things ready for the growing season so it's actually a pretty special place to be in, in particular in times like this. Um, we're entirely off-grid Uh, Although we do live in a tiny caravan for the moment. (laughs) That's been interesting. Uh, But I'm so, so grateful um, now more than ever for the spaciousness of the outdoors and to have so much nature around us and a deep appreciation for that and recognition that not everyone does. So I do feel incredibly lucky. Um, Yeah, so let me find some of the questions you were asking. That's where I'm at right now, who I'm with. Uh, also with Wolfie. She's a little little dog, a terrier, Scotty Cross. Uh, great character, lovely to have her around as well, keeping us entertained. Um, and then what am I struggling with the most during these times? Um, yeah, It's been such a process um, in what feels like a really long time, but it's actually only been a really short space of time, like within a month, how radically everything has altered in some way and in other ways um, actually nothing at all has changed either it's just the how we moved and the energy and the pace we were living has altered and that seems to have also affected everything else around us which is super interesting Um, yeah I guess I'm really I feel a struggle around just holding the tension you know there's that just daily hour by hour ebb and flow um up and down of just trying to well trying to not try <laughs> so hard um it's taken a really long time for me to sink into and settle into any kind of rhythm of my own um and just allowing for all the feelings to be there to just allow myself to feel unsettled um you know just being with that rather than trying to rush on to the next thing or change things or fix things because that's really not the time or space for that or or for action really um it's actually the time to stop isn't it um and be still that can be a challenge (laughs) um definitely the challenge also around separation you know of from loved ones uh, not having that freedom of movement to be able to go to be with those that we love and care about um particular family so my family are home in, in Donegal um, but that that actually kind of deepens and strengthens a lot of bonds and relationships in other ways um, another struggle is the loss of rituals that were actually really supportive um, and maybe we didn't realize so in times like this particularly in Ireland as well the ritual we have around death is so powerful the kind of whole process we go through as a community when someone dies um, there's a really just strong sense of connection and space to grieve and at the beginning of all this uh, my uncle passed away Uh, Connor Britton one of the Britain brothers who first uh, pioneered surfing in the northwest of Ireland. Um, My dad's elder brother, uh, just really suddenly and unexpectedly, uh, not from, not from the COVID-19. But that, that was just heartbreaking because of not having that ritual to be able to process the emotion and the letting go. Um, And uh, so that's kind of led me on a journey to also explore and recover the power importance of, of ritual and having more ritual in my life more honoring of an appreciation for what's sacred but I find rituals in particular just really grounding um so I kind of find myself returning to kind of old forgotten or lost tools right now um simple practices that I learned as a child or even more recently that I let slide in the name of getting shit done um You know, for example, to help me feel more grounded, I find myself, well, I always find myself drawn to water and we're super lucky here. (laughs) We're right by the sea. Um, I think I'd be lost without that connection. Um, And my work is all about water, like how to heal water and how it heals us. So I've been going down to the seas, the tides ebbing and creating a simple tidal altar offering and waiting and watching for the tide to turn and reclaim it. And as i do it i set an intention for what i want to release and what i want to invite in it's quite a slow and gentle process um i'm just insanely grateful for the privilege to still be able to go to the sea um and as i kind of ride the emotional ebb and flow i've been really tuning into the natural ebb and flow of the tides and moon in a big way i always have but neither are my anchor points in this kind of sea of uncertainty Yeah, and at a time when I can't be my family, um, these simple nature connection rituals are are a way to also connect me with those I love. In my family, we have a powerful sea connection and we've always lived our lives with a keen awareness of the kind of flux and flow of moon and tide, those kind of constant rhythms and they really offer a supportive energy right now. Um, Irish singer Imelda May's song comes to mind, Meet You at the Moon, where she sings, we're looking at the same moon, though we're miles apart. Yeah. Um. Oh, there goes wolfie. <laughs> so, what am I hoping, or what bits of getting back to normal do you hope will not return? Well, finally I'm I'm really finding meeting a lot of resistance in myself to. Um. Uh, to be in that mentality of like getting things done uh doing mode or i feel myself really resistant to a lot of messages kind of out there of how to use this time to make y- yourself a better you <laughs> um and i'm just like no it's like stop doing and stop filling the space and and uh, there's a lot of tension there because I'm I'm still working in uh full time at the university, still, you know, having to put a lot of like research on and writing up papers and marking student projects and you know, so it's an endless zoom calls and <laughs> so in many ways like you know, my work hasn't changed or slowed, but my energy's completely shifted. Um, so it's yeah, how to how to find that balance and I find right now a real keen sense for what Um, doesn't align with me, Uh, it just immediately feels off, and it just takes tremendous energy to try to do anything that isn't in alignment with where I really want to be putting my energies, Um, so in a way that has me excited for what comes next, and um, yeah, so, and also holding the tension of, you know, feeling this kind of bubbling sense of possibilities you know space for new things to emerge and that trying to hold, you know not get carried away too quickly because I still feel what we're being called to do right now in the face of all of this is really just to to listen and to listen really deeply um to notice to be to pay attention in a different way um and so I'm really trying to stay with that And when i do then i feel this mirroring beginning to happen that shows you just just how interconnected interdependent we are with the living world because we're part of it all you know um i feel less and less of this sense of separation between nature and us i i feel i feel that to be true for a lot of other people around me as well um So there's this mirroring of the natural world Kind of within us And within me Um, Yeah So there's more natural ebb and flow That's I guess it's always there But we've kind of chosen to ignore it Or forgotten how to feel it And it's an ebb and flow That's naturally in our bodies too But we've been taught by society to to, To suppress it Especially women And I feel like this is a powerful time To reclaim that Noticing and for me, noticing the inner seasons of my own cycle has helped me stay self-connected or come back to myself in a wholesome way if I begin to feel like spun out or frayed, which also happens. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm just really grateful for that awareness of my menstrual cycle, of natural cycles uh, and how healing it can be. Uh, I'm very grateful for the wonderful women at Red School for that training and teaching and wisdom. Um, So yeah, I'm really right now just trying to use this as an opportunity to be still, um, even if it's only in, you know, for pockets of time, um, and to rest and explore what what rest really means for me, and how important that is for our resilience, Um, and I feel a lot less guilty about saying things like that now. So I think now that we've all been forced to stop, a lot of us are probably noticing just how exhausted we were. And um, I've been longing for the space to slow down for for quite a long time now. Um, And I'd certainly rather it not be forced upon us. And it's so sad that it has to take such a shocking wake-up call for us to realize the vitalness of things like rest. Um, But I feel that we're... yeah. We've never been closer to this transformative energy and power now that I really hope we continue to tap into and um, keep creating space for that to emerge um, rather than try, you know, defaulting back to our old ways. So. Hmm. I think that, that's that's where I'm at right now. What else do I want to share? Um, yeah, I think I'd like to share maybe a poem or a quote that I'm going to have a look for now. Just bear with me. Um, hmm... So the other thing that's happened in all of this I also submitted the final manuscript for my book, uh first book I've written, uh called Saltwater in the Blood. Um so it's been a really interesting process. Most of it was written before now an and then the editing began just before this craziness. So it's quite a yeah, um a strange thing in a way to have completed something like that and then it's now in this kind of limbo space while everything's in this extended pause including the production and publication of books <laughs> so we're hoping it, it would come I am um, supposed to come out maybe later this year but it will probably be uh, a book to begin next year with um, and I was just looking for some words from that to share with you It's actually a very, very short poem uh, from my book, Saltwater in the Blood. And it's called Beneath the Surface. Through the fissures and the fractures, be with it all. In the deep silence of aloneness, breathe into the belly. Let go what wants to die. Let emerge what wants to be born. suspended in the beautiful essence of isolation a desire to go down into the depths within awakens so there you have it Uh, some musings from the west of ireland and i wish everyone uh, their best uh, health and may you stay grounded and connected and full of gratitude for all the beauty in the world and Yeah, please take care and may we all come through this soon. Much love. Thanks.
0: So I'm going to call that a wrap for episode three, Reflections from the Great pause. I want to play out with the track, actually. Um, It was my daughter Olive's 13th birthday yesterday and um, was reminded about her um arrival into the world through um conversations and um reflections from yesterday and uh I remembered she was um she was born at home and she was actually born she sort of emerged almost in silence olive a very peaceful girl and a very peaceful baby and has remained that very sort of calm gentle amazing peaceful girl during the during the labor we'd had this playlist you know as you do you pulled a, a playlist together for the kind of um, the labor period at home and the birth. And um, and Olive popped out, as I say, almost in silence while um, uh, this song from John Martin was playing, which is Small Hours, which is the most chilled, calmest song probably I have in my collection. It's from his One World album in 1977. Yeah, and it just captures the spirit, really, of uh, my wonderful Olive. So uh, I want to leave you with this, Small Hours by John Martin. Um, Take care out there. Be safe. Until next time, peace and out.
4: I'm i